Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next episode of my Say Show. It's great to have you today and it gives me great pleasure. It's also a privilege to have Bo Gray as the guest on today's show. Bo would never ever call himself, he told me himself, the CEO of my wager score, which is one of the topics that we will be tackling on the show today. Yet he is most definitely my wager score's founding father. So that rather long story short, Bo, welcome on the show. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks, Brian. It's great to be here. I understand, and as everybody can see, you happen to be on the road today, you know, in a parking lot next to a football field, and we'll be talking about that as well. But perhaps the the place to start is the fact that, uh, and you've uh, classified yourself that way, the, a newcomer to the gambling industry. So when you joined the industry for want of better expression or when you started hanging around what was your first impression of the industry well if i could speak frankly i think there's a lot of people that are making a big push and a big effort to do things the right way i just think there's a lot of the current industry that's being run by people that don't come from the industry and maybe don't understand betters or understand gamblers or really understand the scope of what's going on so I see it as, you know, big corporations that are still trying to figure things out. And I believe that is a very, very fair point. And we've both been involved with all those efforts to try to figure things out. And I'm not trying to contradict myself. Yes, you are, in the grand scheme of things, still a newcomer to the industry. Having said that, you have been around for about a year, and you just said yourself that your first impression revolved around the fact that the people who were running the industry, they might not have necessarily come from the industry, they were still figuring things out. So having spent some 12 months, a little over 12 months, with and around the industry leaders and, and uh, others, do you think things have changed or at least started changing throughout that period? And what it is that throughout that period you would have found or you have found most gratifying on the one hand and on the other hand, most challenging? It's always easy to talk about the challenging and that's kind of just getting everyone on board with the same idea and the same vision and the same message when it comes to responsible gaming. Um, you know, that's always challenging to get all the stakeholders on board and agree to, a, you know, a one-size-fits-all solution. So that's, that's been the challenging, I think, part of it. I think the rewarding part is starting to see that uh, states like New Jersey are actually looking at things like ARC and looking at technology that, you know, identifies problem play before it occurs. Um, starting to see things in, in uh, publications. Uh, Leonora and her team just did a, a study on uh, affordability as a key component of responsible gambling. And those are things that I've been talking about all along, just to start seeing some of those things that we've been talking about coming into light. You know, it's coming a little bit slow, but to actually see those things coming into play now are, are really rewarding. You know, see states like New Jersey taking the lead and saying we should use technology to combat technology, to see people start looking at affordability as a key component of, of, a, of responsible gaming platforms it, it is quite rewarding. You know, everything else is challenging because we're dealing with a lot of stakeholders, but I think we'll get there at some point. Picking up on one of the critical points, I believe that you have just made, i.e. 
things taking time. Why do you think that has been the case? Is it the fact that since the repeal of passport, and I suppose for good reason, most operators would have been on this mad dash or mad scramble from one new market to another and you know the the end of well the upcoming festive season is likely to be yet another example of that with the likes of maryland ohio massachusetts everybody launching everybody's been focusing on that so is this the key reason why responsible gambling has been creeping up the priority ladder so relatively slowly or are there any other reasons that you can think of why this would have been the case uh, no i think it comes down to i mean we're still at a race to the bottom and everyone is fighting for market share and everyone's got to you know turn a profit i mean it's great that everyone's got revenue but until you start making money you know you've got to appeal everyone that's that's part of your organization you know uppers uh, shareholders um so again i think unfortunately Responsible gambling doesn't take the first priority at this point because, you know, anything that stands in the way of conversion, anything that kind of makes gaming maybe seem a little bit more dangerous and less free that risk free that it is could hinder conversion. And so I think until the market stable stable you know stabilizes and kind of gets to, you know, where it is a little bit more mature, I think that it'll kind of take uh, a little bit bit better, be be more uh, more looked at it as important to the sustainability of the industry, right? So now it's about onboarding users, getting people into the funnels, but long-term it's gonna be about sustainability. And I think once we start seeing some of the things that unfortunately we are gonna see, and that's problem gambling amongst our youth and the next generation of betters, is I think what we're really gonna to have to take a harder look at this and really figure out a way to get these, these guys in the funnel in a way that's done better than what we've done with the previous generations. And a lot of our listeners would have already heard about your my wager score if you pardon the pun but perhaps if though if you could walk those uninitiated through it what inspired you to launch it what are you trying to achieve with it and to your other point what is the long-term objective behind my wager score yeah well i think uh how i created it is simple i have uh two boys their generations years i like to call them generation gamble um they're growing up in a world with legalized gambling i mean they're the first group that actually had regulated legalized sports betting in america and you know when they repealed the passport in 2018 I, I saw there was a big rush to the market for monetization but really no one was looking at what i think is the most important thing to this industry and that's affordability and sustainability so while everyone was working on you know new apps and new technology and new ways to get you to bet, we dug in and we started writing our patents on the wager score and developing technology that could reduce problem gambling or mitigate the risk of gambling and then ultimately be a piece of the whole industry. And so for me, it comes down to my kids and my friends' kids. I don't think there's enough out there in terms of technology that can you know, kind of keep up with the current technology. So that was the idea and the vision behind the wager score was was creating a technology that could combat all the current technology, getting people to bet, and creating a technology where the next generation can understand it easily. You know, their attention span is eight seconds, so we have to deliver RG in eight seconds. And how do you do that? You got to do it through technology. And the key word there is, I suppose, in some corners, the dreaded word of affordability. And I would suggest that slowly but surely, affordability has become one of if not the guiding principle that permeates quite a few european gambling regulations 
So do you believe having had experience with launching a product that revolves around affordability, that with the passage of time, this, i.e. affordability being one of the key principles of gambling regulation, with the passage of time, this will have become the case in the United States and even throughout North America with the likes of the Canadian provinces regulating. Yeah, so I think when it comes down to affordability, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of argument that chasing is the root of problem gaming. Everyone does it. When you're winning, you want to win more. And when you're losing, you want to get out. And it's so when you start chasing with money that you don't have to lose is kind of the beginning of the end. So I think affordability plays a very key component to identifying that problem, which is a big problem. But I also believe affordability should be an elective tool by the users, right? If a consumer wants an affordability check, it's as simple as the operators providing data back on that consumer. We shouldn't force anybody to do anything, especially in a country like America. I mean, I believe in freedom. Like, if you don't want a wager score, um, you don't have to get a wager score. We shouldn't implement anything to the consumer, but we should educate a consumer and show them there's a tool that can gauge affordability and can intervene. And at that point, it becomes an elective tool. And so I think affordability checks and anything that's done in the sense of an RG component should be an elective tool for the consumer, not a mandated, not a mandated tool whatsoever. You know, because the consumer has to take some of the responsibility for their gambling actions as well as the operator and anybody else. So affordability checks allow everyone to take a piece of that, that, that uh, kind of uh, liability and say, hey, listen, I want an affordability check because if I start getting out of control, I want you as an operator know to slow me down or cut me down. But at the same time, if we're giving the consumer that affordability tool and they opt out not to use it, well, then they can't come back to the operator and the regulator and say, hey, I lost too much money because we gave you an opportunity to figure out how much you might be able to afford to lose. So I think it has to work, you know, in, in, in a way that it's an elective tool. And I think it really has to be presented to this next generation of, of, of betters because I'm a little cynical. I don't think people that are currently betting on sports are going to get an affordability check. I think this next generation is more keen to it. And I think some studies and research has shown the same. You've already started tackling what could be the perceived issue or counter argument to using a tool such as my wager score. So what it is in little more detail, if you don't mind, what it is you would say to the potential nigh sayers who would be only too keen on literally brandishing their First Amendment rights and prerogatives right into your face to not have any information about themselves disclosed, not have information about their financial solvency disclosed. You know, I'm keeping that to myself. This is my First Amendment backyard, if you will. And now the likes of Bo Gray are telling me that I need to share this information because uh, I may be gambling in an irresponsible fashion. Yeah, well, so again, I, I would probably agree with those people that don't want to share that data. Again, that is my right not to share the data. If I don't want a wager score, then I don't have to get a wager score. My argument is if we provide a wager score for consumers and they want that tool to prevent problem play, that we should allow them to use that tool and get the data back from the operators that require us to properly use that tool or, or mitigate that behavior. I think I'm a, I'm a, I'm a free spirit of America. I, I love it, right? No one wants, I don't want anyone to tell me what to do, but if I see something that's smart for me or makes sense for my kids and I want to educate them on that tool as an elective tool, then I think we need to give that opportunity there and let the consumer choose if you want to opt in for a wager score, just like if you want to opt in for setting your limits or 
you know, self-excluding. I think it all has to be elective. And I think that's the key to this whole, to, to the whole thing about affordability. I think you should never, ever try to control anybody in any capacity in a free market and in a free world. And so to me, um, on that point, I agree with someone that says, hey, I don't want my finances looked at, but what about those other five people that say, I'm okay with affordability checks and I want this. I mean, that's the, you know, so it has to be kind of an even balance there in, in that mindset. In other words, it's all about providing the consumers or even potential customers with an option, which indeed, from my limited experience of having lived in the United States, is very, very American. Talking about Americans, famous Americans, you happen to be very good friends with your fellow Cleveland native, Mr. Charles Oakley, a legendary ball player, needless to say, but... On top of that, also a very nimble dancer, and I saw it myself, inspirational cook, and most importantly, an all-out great guy. So would you mind telling the podcast audience, how did the two of you actually meet, and what is your fondest memory of time together with Charles? Yeah, so, I mean, me and Charles actually met through mutual friends years back, and when we were launching a wager score, I was kind of thinking about who I wanted to be in and who I want to bring in as a partner, and number number one, like a who I wanted to be the face of the wager score and responsible gamblings, and I thought, who better than the last enforcer, Charles Oakley, right? I mean, he arguably protected some of the biggest names in the game. You know, what a better guy to pr protect the next generation from problem gambling. So, you know, we had, we had lunch at a golf course. We talked about it. And Charles, from the minute we, we went go, was like, I'm into this. I think it's great. And so, you know, it, it was really rewarding to having Charles on board. And so I think my fondest memory of Charles is when we started the Oak Out Hunger Tours. Um, Charles and me kind of come from the same backgrounds, you know, working class families, you know, made our own way up through the world. And I think, you know, we would say, okay, we're going to meet at 5.30 in the morning to go source all the food and start getting ready for, 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 the, for the meals of the day. And I remember the first day on tour, Charles got there at 5.20 because he wanted to be there before me, right? So the next day, I got there at 5.10 to be there before Charles. So we got into a competition of actually getting there earlier so we would be there first. And so that just shows part of our work ethic and how we operate. And then finally, we just sat down and I said, Charles, I'll be there at 5.15 and you'll be there at 5.15 and we'll just both be there at the same time every day. So that's just in terms of how we function and work through the Oakout hunger things. And so... That's one of the funnier stories. And then obviously, you know, in the campaigns, we, you know, we had some real funny moments, but that's kind of one thing that stands about me, just understanding the kind of worth ethic that Charles has, you know, and the competition that we have, not only in everything we do in life, but just to get up on time and beat the other to the punch was kind of a funny story for me. Well, I hope Charles will forgive me for saying, because now I'm going to ask you about the most bizarre moments that you would have experienced with Charles. I hope he would forgive me for saying that he's rather peculiar about his food. And we also come on to talking about this year's Oak Out Hunger campaign. But, you know, in terms of the most bizarre, if not challenging moments you would have had with him, would they relate to the food or to the fact that uh, the two of us on this year's um, Oak Out hun Hunger campaign, yeah, we would have turned up quite early, we would have done all the prep, and then the star player would walk through the door and claim all the c credit and, and glory. But, you know, throughout the years, what would have been the most bizarre moment that you would have a mind-boggling moment that you would have experienced with mr oakley so there are some funny moments when we're out at restaurants and 
he has a tendency to send back food. You've seen him mine. We've seen it. He laughs about it. We joke about it. Um, I get the biggest kick, though, when, uh, you know, in New York, obviously, he's the king of New York. Everyone loves him. In a lot of markets, but on occasion when he gets that thrown out, people will confuse him for Charles Barkley, and it just stirs him the wrong way because if you read The Last Enforcer, that's page one, section one. So I always get a kick when someone says, oh, you're Charles Barkley. It just You could see that Charles is very okay with it, but you know inside it's just got to be stirring him up. So that always cracks me up. That That's never one that I can actually, actually never stop kind of chuckling about and, and being that kind of fun thing in our in our times when we're on the road and out with people when he kind of gets gets that. I think that's pretty funny. We started talking about the Oakland Hunger campaigns because there have been multiple of them and you actually happen to be on the Oakland Hunger bus during the country yet again. And I've had the great privilege and pleasure to have done not the whole but part of the spring tour with you. We happen to have been at Skid Row on the Super Bowl day. A couple of weeks later we braved the elements including a snowstorm and we got up really really early in Cleveland, Ohio to serve the less fortunate ones to serve them breakfast and yet few more weeks later we were Back at it again at High Apostles in New York City, right ahead of the Big East Tournament. So, what is it about those campaigns, not only the roots, but most importantly, their impact that can speak right to the people's heart? Yeah, well, so, you know, obviously you bring up Skid Row, and we started working with Charles at Skid Row years back, and that was kind of his one main event every year because it was a big event. He really felt it was important to work with the people, get back into the community. And then so when we launched my wager score, I had a conversation with Charles, and I said, why don't we just make Oakout Hunger just a bigger experience, and let's take it on the road, and let's you know get it out to as many people as we can. And you know, part of what the wager score does is think about Amazon's smile for gaming. It rewards consumers betting responsibly by donating a small percentage of every dollar that's bet to social causes. So take this money from gaming, give it back to the local communities. And that's part of Oak Out Hunger where we can redistribute some of this wealth. And so with Charles and Oak Out Hunger, it's really taken his passions on giving back and cooking and then putting them into one campaign and, and going on the road. And so, you know, we do everything. It's not a photo op. You know, we joke about, you know, Charles showing up in the kitchen and, and taking all the glory, but we know that's, you know, far from the truth. It comes down to you know, when we're in town, me and Charles are up, up at five in the morning. We're, we're, you know, we go to Restaurant Depot. We source all the food. We prep all the food. Charles cooks all the food. We serve all the food. I mean, these are all-day events. It's not just pop in, hand out a couple sandwiches, get some photos for the camera. And, and that's what's special about the Oak Out Hunger events. When you see Charles and the people talking to him and their faces seeing a guy that's of this caliber actually taking the time to deliver something back, that's a rewarding part of Oak Out Hunger. And, you know, to me, we uh, did an event in Philadelphia at the first shelter with the families. And when we saw the kids made cards for Charles and us, and the kids were actually, you know, playing basketball with Charles, and you just saw that little spark that you bring back to someone's day, that's the rewarding part of the Ocot Hunger. You know, we work hard. You know, we're out there. Um, this year, with the help of Entain Foundation USA and some of our other partners, we're, we're you know, we're, we'll hit our goal of serving 10,000 meals. But it's 10,000 meals with a smile, with some love. And, and that's what really makes the Oak Out Hunger campaign different because it's us and it's real and it's what we're doing. And we're trying to show people that, hey, if you bet responsibly and, and take responsible giving in your own hands, there's a reward to society for doing that. And that's part of this whole program, you know, betting smart, giving back to society, 
and all the things we do. And, you know, Oak Out Hunger is hopefully just the first of many events in the upcoming years as our company grows and our reach grows that we want to give back to, to, to those causes. As a society, we do need to step up further. And thanks to guys like you and Charles, you know, this place, the world is, it's an overused phrase, but it is becoming a better, better place. In a similar vein and going back to the main theme of this podcast, namely responsible gambling, I would like to ask you for a few more thoughts about the current state of the responsible gambling union in the United States and the wider North America. So where did we get to in your view? You know, what, what went well, what didn't go so well and where we had it with the likes of, and you've touched upon some of that already with the likes of New Jersey, Ohio, Ontario, and Massachusetts all stepping up their regulatory efforts in the area of consumer protection and responsible gambling. Yeah, I think, you know, it goes back to a story that when we were talking about it, when we were at EGR some time ago, and you look at what the gaming industry is speaking about Electric Day and Election Day, and we got Prop 27 on the ballot in California. And so with the industry saying, with their big, you know, they spent, you know, half a billion dollars between the two factions, you know, trying to get this thing passed. And, you know, the gaming industry focused on solving homelessness in California is, is their main talking point. I mean, I live in California. We're never going to solve that problem. It's been going on for years. It's not going to stop because of gambling companies. The gambling industry should have focused on putting in real safeguards to protect the consumers as their main message, and RG should have been the focal point of that campaign. We're going to protect and educate the next generation. And, and, and if you look at what they're doing for sports betting, iGaming is tremendously bigger than this will ever be, but it's never going to happen unless we put in the real safeguards to protect the consumers, and that includes elective affordability checks. And so I think with the industry, I'm a bit, you know, you, I'm, 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 I shoot from the hip, right? So I'm going to tell you how I feel. You know, we're still talking about self-exclusion. We're still talking about setting limits. You know, we had a month of a campaign on responsible gambling. Everyone was patting themselves on the back for making campaigns that are being shown at 1030 at night on off-channel cable news about problem gambling. They're not being shown at the end of 10 gambling ads, you know, where we did some things last year. So, again, I, I think there's very little being done, to be honest with you. It's, you know, New Jersey, again, is taking the forefront, I think, with in, in, you know, with, with the technology and the things that they're being starting to do there. But if you look at the overall picture, I think, you know, Ontario is obviously a little different scenario. They're going to be looking at it a lot harder. But, you know, we're still talking about self-exclusion, setting limits, right? And, you know, what's been done for the last 40 year, years in a brick and mortar environment, and this is technology. And if you're not implementing technology and you're not looking at affordability, I think there's way more work to be done, you know, way more work to be done. And as usual, I appreciate your brutal candor, and I agree that uh, we need to continue taking a good old hard look at ourselves and figure out additional ways as to how we can take the whole responsible gambling game forward. You are sort of renowned, we've known each other for a while, for being what I would call the great commuter. You're constantly on the move between LA, where your family is based these days, and your truly beloved New York City. And as we've already said, you know, you in between that, you know, you've thrown in driving fancy buses up and down the country. So is this, in your view, the true American way of living? 
being on the road, if I may paraphrase Jack Kerouac? I'm an old school guy when it comes to marketing, and I, I, I think we've lost so much when in the digital age where there's no grassroots movements. You know, when you're actually talking to people and engaging with the next generation and out on the streets and mixing it up, um, people see your product in a different light and they see you in a different way. So to me, that's just part of any kind of uh, product evolution is, you know, can't be all digital anymore. People got to see you. They got to believe in you. They got to love you. And so part of me being on the road is, is really taking my message to the people. And, you know, if we're going to create change, it's not going to be done through, you know, blanket ads. It's going to be done through communicating talking to the next education, uh, educating the next generation of betters, and really getting out there and saying that, hey, you know, there are people that care about this, and there are people that are out there to make this a better place. So, you know, being on the road is just part of the part of the job for me. It's always been part of the job. Um, and, and, yeah, I like it. Get away from uh, a house full of, you know, high school kids and a barking dog and, you know, get my time off. So, yeah, I, I like the road. Don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> And I'm not, I'm not blaming you for that. We briefly touched upon some of the Charles Oakley stories, but you know, while being on the road, would there be any juicy stories you'd like to share? Perhaps an opener for your potential future bow on the road book? Yeah, so I'm kind of like what stays in Vegas or what goes out of Vegas stays in Vegas kind of guy. So, you know what I mean? I like to keep our stories to ourselves. Uh, any, any of the juicy ones, you'll have to wait for the book, for my book. Charles has already written his first book. He'll probably write his second book. Um, I'll share some of that in my book when the time is right. But, yeah, what stays on the – you know, what goes on the road stays on the road in my, my, in my, in my, my old school ways. And I feel ashamed for being a lawyer, but this has been a perfect loyally answer. So thank you very much for that. And well, ladies and gentlemen, I suppose we'll have to wait for Bo's book to be released, hopefully in not to a distant future. But once again, let me digress and to wrap the proceedings up, give Bo his 60 seconds to shine even more and convey his key messages to you, the audience. So Bo, it's all yours. All right, so just quick, just remember, affordability should be an elective tool, never a mandated tool. It'll solve a lot of problems with the industry. If a consumer wants it, I need three points of data back. Uh, handle, deposit types, amounts, withdraw. It's simple. Number two, um, we are uh, implementing the superhero NFTs. This is something that Martin and Tain created. We have the Charles Oakley NFT going up for auction soon, which will be for the Oak Out Hunger Tour and contribution. I'm starting to donate the bidding at $5,000. I'm saying to anybody out there in the RG community and space, we should all take a look at this. We should all bid on this thing, and we should all raise money for the Oak Out Hunger campaign this year to not only feed those more in need, but educate consumers on responsible gambling. So that's my challenge out there to all the RG people in the industry. The bidding's at $5,000. That's my first bid. Let's see if anybody else can uh, match that. Thank you for that. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is a challenge for you. So please pick up the gauntlet and go on bidding. Bo, thank you very much. Great to have had you on the show. I'm sure that uh, everybody out there will have heard even more about Bo and his campaigns and my wager score. And, you know, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for dialing in. I'm Martin Lichka, and this has been yet another episode of Save Bet Show. Take it easy out there and speak soon. Mm -hmm.